Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Morals reformed, health preserved, industry invigorated, instruction diffused, public burdens lightened, economy seated, as it were, upon a rock. The Gordian knot of the poor laws are cut and untied, all by a simple idea of architecture. Those were the words of the English philosopher Jeremy Bentham, and the architecture that he's referring to is his proposal for what in the late 1700s was a new type of prison, what is now called a panopticon. Unlike a dungeon or a dark cell, the panopticon, which Bentham was claiming was going to solve all of these myriad problems, wasn't designed to put prisoners out of sight underground, you know, in a hole in darkness. No, it was designed to do the exact opposite. Instead of burying prisoners, the panopticon would torment people with terrible visibility. Imagine this. Imagine a vast circular room. Around the circumference of a room, there are prison cells, each arranged so they are facing the interior of the circle. And each prisoner is isolated. It's one person to a cell, and walls prevent them from communicating with one another. In the center of this vast circular chamber, the circumference girded by prison cells, a tower rises with a single guard station at the top. The guard, whom Bentham called the inspector, and his word for the panopticon was the inspection house, can, from the center of the room, see easily into each and every cell around him. But the prisoners, against the wall in their individual cells, they cannot see into the guard tower. The idea is that all the prisoners can be watched any time by a single guard, but the prisoners do not know if they are being watched or not. At any moment, the eyes of the guard, staring down from the center of the vast chamber, may or may not be upon them. And the idea of the panopticon is that the prisoners, knowing that they could be watched at any moment, they will act as if they're being watched. They will always assume that that guard can see them. They will discipline themselves. The real prison, according to Bentham, wouldn't be so much in the architecture, but really in the minds and in the behavior of the inmates. The idea of the panopticon was to make those inside of it build a kind of prison in their mind. This is clever, this is devious, and this is exactly like the kind of thing that Dr. Doom would think up to hold political prisoners in Latveria, which, by the way, is the fake country that Dr. Doom resides over in Marvel Comics. And I could completely see something like the Panopticon being used as an evil supervillain device. I, I can imagine the Silver Age comic that this would be in, where the Fantastic Four get captured, they get put in this goofy, all-seeing prison area, and the cover of the comic book says, Can the Fantastic Four escape from Doom's perfect prison? Or something like that. And then overly florid narration about how there is no escape from the all-seeing eye of Doom. But here's the thing. The Panopticon, as weird and super villainy as it is, it doesn't actually come from a guy who is at all like a supervillain. Jeremy Bentham, who I already mentioned, was about as far from Dr. Doom as you could possibly get. 
Bentham, at the time, the late 1700s, was something of a progressive. He's considered one of the founders of utilitarianism, which is a philosophy that emphasized the greatest good for the greatest numbers, or, as Bentham's pupil, John Stuart Mill, put it, quote, pleasure and freedom from pain are the only things desirable as ends, and that all desirable things, which are as numerous and utilitarian as in any other scheme, are desirable either for pleasure inherent in themselves or as means to the promotion of pleasure and the prevention of pain. So, in other words, it's this philosophy where you are trying to maximize the goodness for everybody and you're trying to minimize the badness for everybody, and you are not necessarily tied to doctrinaire, old-style tradition and morality. You want to do everything in your power to make things as good as possible for the maximum amount of people. And it's more complicated than that, and there are several different branches of utilitarianism, but at the time it was considered extraordinarily progressive. And for Bentham, his commitment to utilitarianism, which he saw as a moral philosophy, meant that he was committed to all kinds of things that seemed sort of weird and out there and kind of radical for his time. He believed in things like crime prevention through education, for example. He also believed that the circumstances of a crime should be taken into account when sentencing offenders. He had a dim view of corporal punishment, and he also believed that criminals, rather than being just inherently more prone to sin and corruption than other folks, he believed that they could be reformed. Also, kind of curiously, he wrote about and spoke about animal rights in the late 1700s, and I think that he was probably one of maybe 12 people in Europe in the late 1700s who actually cared about the pleasure and pain of animals. So the Panopticon is weird because you look at it and it looks like something that Dr. Doom would make or at the very least some kind of amoral calculating guy like, you know, Henry Kissinger would be into. But the man who thought it up, he had all kinds of squishy, lovey, fuzzy, progressive feelings. And the sinisterness of the Panopticon is complicated when you look at Bentham's other opinions about an ideal prison. For example, he believed that prisoners should be under surveillance at all times, or at least they should perceive that they're under surveillance at all times, which I've got to admit sounds kind of stressful and messed up. But he also believed that wardens and guards should be held responsible for prisoner injuries and deaths and that a warden or a guard of a prison, they should be fined or disciplined if prisoners somehow came to harm under their care. Bentham also didn't think that the prisoners should just be rotting in their cells, you know, classic dungeon imagery of somebody kind of sitting there and rags are just sort of falling off them. He was not into that. Uh, he didn't want prison to just be punitive. He wanted it to be redemptive. Bentham saw prison and his panopticon as a place where folks could do something useful, that they could be in their cell and performing some kind of labor or bettering themselves in some manner, such as, you know, studying or exercise or that sort of thing. He believed in reform more so than just simple punishment, and he thought the structure of the panopticon would allow for that because the prisoners, if they always believed that they were being observed, they would internalize the discipline the prison gave them. They would internalize that diligence and they would constantly, constantly, constantly be practicing it. Eventually, this would become ingrained, and the morality that Bentham wanted to inscribe upon people would be more or less permanent. On top of the purported benefits to the prisoners via diligence and discipline, Bentham also saw his prison as a cost-saving device. Uh, he envisioned goods, like small cottage industry-type things, 
made by prisoners locked up in the Panopticon as potentially raising funds for the institution. He also touted how much the Panopticon could save on labor, what with only needing a single guard in the tower. Or, if you want to get really, really devious, sometimes zero guards in the tower, because you don't actually need someone there. You just need people to believe somebody is there. And even though I think the Panopticon is sort of sinister and messed up, I can kind of understand Bentham's enthusiasm for it. Uh, if I had an idea that I was convinced would contribute to greater public morality and save a lot of money all at the same time, I would probably be trying to sell it absolutely everywhere. And I don't actually think the Panopticon would have done that, but I can sort of see where Bentham's belief for morals reformed and health preserved might have come from. But despite Bentham's enthusiasm for his creation, uh, there weren't any Panopticons built in England. And several prisons that were built on his model that were kind of Panopticon-esque, they were built elsewhere in the world. There were a lot of places that had that circular structure with the cells facing outward into the central large circular area and the guard tower in the middle. But essential to Bentham's design was that the guard could see the prisoners, but the prisoners couldn't see the guard. And no real-world prisons that were based on the Panopticon design ever quite pulled that off. You never really got the effect where you couldn't tell where the guard was looking or even if there was a guard at all. And nowadays, most actual Panopticon-influenced prisons, they are abandoned ruins, and you should do a Google image search on Panopticon. You will get some awesome images of large, circular, crumbling prisons. They're great to look at. But the Panopticon's greatest legacy is as a metaphor. Most notably, the French philosopher Michel Foucault, in his book Discipline and Punish, talked about how the Panopticon was an effective metaphor for how power can work on a person. I'm going to quote Foucault at length, and I like him a lot as a writer, but I will warn you, he is not at all concise or precise in his writings, so this is going to be a long paragraph. Quote, A real subjection is born mechanically from fictitious relation, so it is not necessary to use force to constrain the convict to good behavior, the madman to calm, the worker to work, the schoolboy to application, the patient to the observation of the regulations. Bentham was surprised that panoptic institutions could be so light. There were no more bars, no more chains, no more heavy locks. All that was needed was the separation should be clear and the openings well arranged. The heaviness of the old houses of security, with their fortress-like architecture, could be replaced by the simple economic geometry of a house of certainty. The efficiency of power its constraining force have, in a sense, passed over to the other side, to the side of its surface of application. He who is subjected to a field of visibility and who knows it assumes responsibility for the constraints of power. He makes them play spontaneously upon himself. He inscribes them in himself, the power of relations, in which he simultaneously plays both roles. He becomes the principle of his own subjection. By this very fact, the external power may throw off its physical weight. It tends to the non-corporeal, and the more it approaches this limit, the more constant, profound, and permanent are its effects. It is a perpetual victory that avoids any physical confrontation and which is always decided in advance. And this is vastly oversimplifying a fairly complicated philosopher, but what Foucault is essentially saying is that 
the power relationships of a society, and this is not necessarily political or economic power. When he talks about power, Foucault is also talking about things like social convention and norms. Uh, those power conventions, they're not necessarily from one person to the next, but they can be coming from within individuals. Bentham hoped that the panopticon would cause some kind of interior reformation on the inmates. And Foucault says that that sort of thing happens all the time in social relations at large. We all take the norms, rules, standards, and whatever of our social environment or environments into ourselves, and we exert those norms and we exert those standards on ourselves. For example, when I'm home alone and nobody can see me, I wear pants and I eat with a fork. I would be free to just go around my house naked and stick my face into a food bowl like a damn animal, but I don't. I abide by the rules of the social environment, the panopticon that I live in, even when no one is watching. That expression of power, in this case wearing pants and using eating utensils, is coming from inside the self. I think that's worth noting that for many readers of Foucault, they assume that when he talks about power, he's talking about something uh, sinister or frightening. But for Foucault, power, at least in my reading of him, uh, is more like a force of nature. Uh, it merely is. It can be used for good or bad ends. And Foucault wants to know how it works uh, much more than making necessarily value judgments about it. In Discipline and Punish, he uses the panopticon as a means to describe how individuals internalize discipline and systems uh, in themselves. And in today's world, an actual, literal, Bentham-style panopticon would be wholly unnecessary. Nowadays, you would not need a vast circular chamber. You would not need that guard tower. We have cameras. We have closed-circuit television. And a noticeable camera it can make a person feel watched just as easily as Bentham's hypothetical prison in the round. Even cameras that are hooked up to precisely nothing. Just a sight of one, just a sight of a camera, which may or may not be functional, that can impose desired behavior on humans within its sight. Last little note, unrelated to everything I've talked about so far, it's a weird thing, Jeremy Bentham the man who advocated that all prisoners within his panopticon be constantly viewable, is now, himself, constantly viewable. His corpse, or at least part of it, several of the organs were removed, is on display in something known as an auto-icon at University College London. Uh, the auto-icon, it's a polished wooden closet with a glass pane separating viewers from Bentham's skeleton, which has been propped up on a chair, uh, dressed in his clothes, and fitted with a wax version of his head. Bentham originally wanted his actual real head uh, preserved in the style of New Zealand aboriginals, they had ways of preserving heads back then apparently, uh, placed on top of his clothes-wearing skeleton for all to see. However, the embalmers botched a procedure. His real head is now kind of funky looking. So instead, a creepy wax mummy head is on his skeleton. And if you want to go look at a major English philosopher who designed the most devious prison ever, put in a fancy polished wooden box at a college, you can just do that. His body is on display. And it's creepy looking. Seriously, Google Images, Jeremy Bentham auto icon. You should look at it. 
So I guess in that sense, since he has his body all trussed up like that, maybe he was a supervillain, a partially mummified skeletal supervillain who years later would be immortalized by Michel Foucault, a philosopher who also was really into S&M and drugs. Jeremy Bentham, you were a crazy, crazy man. You designed devious prisons. You were kind of progressive in your way for the late 1700s. You're a skeleton now. Foucault was into you. And you wrote about animal rights before anyone cared about that. Jeremy Bentham, from a certain point of view, you're even cooler than Dr. Doom. Interesting Times, we are recorded at X-Ray FM, a Portland, Oregon radio station that is on 91.1, 107.1. We're engineered by Arthur Rosado, and this podcast is entirely, 100%, completely, totally supported by our generous, generous donors on Patreon, like Katie and Dave Proctor. Thank you very much, Katie and Dave Proctor, for your support. If you would like to become a supporter and... I think you should become a supporter. Uh, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. There is a link to support Interesting Times on Patreon. You should click it. You should also go to Facebook and click the like button, facebook.com slash interestingtimeswithjoestreckert. I'm on Twitter, at joestreckert. Also Tumblr, joestreckert.tumblr.com, because my social media name is my name. I'm creative. Uh, go on there. Click like, click follow, click reblog, all that stuff. Thank you guys very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Lord.